Hi, this is Dr. Daniel Williams with the PTSD Academy podcast, episode 36. Today, we're going to talk about choosing a career path in mental health. I want to give you some experiences as a psychiatrist of uh, the little bit I know about the different career paths, the different types of therapists, counselors, professionals, mid-level prescribers, uh, that, that I could tell you about a little bit about the path and a little bit about the stereotypes. I'll start by picking my own, on my own stereotype. I'm a psychiatrist, and I already witnessed it. About half of us seem weird, like socially awkward, or in some way we're so bogged down from a busy day that a lot of us, maybe 25%, don't seem to look up from the computers and the laptops to even make much eye contact during the interview. And there's other ones like we're supposed to require more hand-holding and stuff like that. Uh, but we're in a very unique position as psychiatrists because we're medical doctors. And while insurance companies and hospital systems have really given all therapy over to counselors and, and psychologists uh, and taken it away from prescribers, they try to downplay our education to prescribers. It's a psychiatrist, the medical doctor with an MD or a a DO, a doctor of osteopathic medicine that requires a four-year college degree and a four-year uh, graduate program uh, for medical school, and then a specialty uh, period after that, because it could be several years even beyond. So we're talking about 15 years of education in some cases. So if you want to do all that, you know, you can be then, like I am, in some ways minimized to a prescriber role and outsourced all therapy to therapists, even though they tend to use cognitive behavioral therapy that was, uh, you know, written and designed by a psychiatrist. So, so we have value in psychotherapy, at least in some niches like me, I'm a great PTSD therapist, but don't, don't get me messing with your OCD all that much. If, if it doesn't respond to the first medicines, what I mean is the therapy part. I can help OCD in a matter of days if it's, if it's pure OCD with an SSRI. But what I'm talking about is the um, conditions and response prevention psychotherapy that goes along beside it, like freaking you out and then getting you to calm down. Like I haven't been trained in that. I wouldn't want to do that to you. I think that's kind of exposure based, though it's not that bad. It gets you to think about a spider, for example. You're not actually uh, getting hurt too often. Though uh, innocent, you know, psychotherapy assignments can turn tragic. I had a patient with PTSD from an auto pedestrian accident. His therapist said, get comfortable walking on the sidewalk again. And it was hard for him. And then he got hit by a car while he was doing his therapy practice again. And then he came to me. That had already happened before I met him. <clears throat> so it's a sad luck story. It's almost funny if it wasn't true. It belongs in a movie, you know, <laughs> because you wouldn't think this kind of thing happens to people, but I've met some of them that it does. So psychiatrist is definitely the long route. There are some psychiatrists that go even much longer and will simultaneously get a PhD in psychoanalysis. That's like seven extra additional years of training on top of what I did. And because I had to do undergrad and finish my army commitment, I started in emergency medicine. That ended badly. Switched to psychiatry, started over from scratch with a second internship. I aced that, though. I got to be chief resident by the end and then do military service again. Had a very short hardship deployment. It doesn't have to be a long deployment to be difficult, you know, and then sort of the rest is history. 
And so I think it's a long path. If I was to add seven years to that, I mean, I was at 17 years from start to finish. That'd be 24 years. That's, that's entirely too long. But there are people that never stop learning. I'd encourage that to be you so that even if you do reach a degree goal, keep learning on, on your own and at least get some, certi- some of these certifications I've mentioned in the last podcast under the best audiobooks and documentaries one. That was episode 35. Okay, so that's a psychiatrist. Very rare you're going to be interested in that, but it's an opportunity for you to know what kind of education, how many years I had to put up with stuff to, to finally be able to give you my opinion. Opinion. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to, you know. Uh, so the next level would be like that PhD, the psychoanalysis or psychologist. There are doctorate degrees in other things too, like nurse practitioners, um, PsyDs, a psychology doctorate. It's just spelled a little differently. Look at the education and training requirements for the doctoral levels. Uh, but coming from the place I did growing up, uh, in my life experiences, I want to now switch to this simple, easy stuff for everyone before I lose you. Okay? Something my daughter is doing, I'm most proud of her, um, is the easiest way for any of us to start. If you want uh, to get into the mental health field and say you don't have a degree or you work in somewhere else doing something else, you can become a peer support specialist. Look up the requirements. They do them in colleges, junior colleges now, hospitals sometimes. And they'll hire you. That's a job. It's not a, it's probably a minimum wage job, but it would have employee benefits for your family, health and dental. So it's that good of a job. It's at least that level. It's just, you won't be rich, you know, you won't be going to uh, the Bahamas every quarter working there. But a peer support specialist is someone who tells their story a little bit at work and patient advocates uh, rely on you. And if a patient's upset about something or or something, they will uh, be able to talk to you about it, and you can kind of counsel them within a you know a certain scope. The next level up from peer support specialist I'd recommend if you're interested in the mental health professions would be nursing. Nursing allows you instant access to patients. You can console and comfort them and try to meet their needs right away, which greatly re- helps their mental health. I can promise you a good nurse will reduce half of the mental health problems in the hospital. Right. You know, if we had a core of them and they're always needed, um, uh, the nursing pr- pathway allows you to be able to get your two to your, your degree and then start working um, while you put yourself through school. So some people need that flexibility. But I think a four year nursing degree is the best degree in the country because of the salaries you make guaranteed if you can survive it and you pass the test and get your license. I mean, 65,000 plus. And, and these days, uh, many entry jobs are more than that with full benefit packages. Traveling nurses can make even more. And there you go. After five years of being a four-year nurse, I mean, yeah, you know, a registered nurse with a four-year bachelor degree, after five years, you're eligible then to apply to go back to school to become a nurse practitioner. You could become a nurse practitioner, which is called a mid-level prescriber, Usually in most states, uh, a lot of them, you have to have supervision of 10% of your patients, on at least their chart records, uh, under a, a doctor. But some states don't require that, like Colorado, where I'm at now. It doesn't require that the nurse practitioner have a doctor. So that you could hang your own shingle and have a private practice with a master's degree. Okay, So that's not a bad program. Just got to work five years as a nurse. Then you're a prescriber. You're your own boss. Set your own schedule. And we need you. And if you'll look at my book, um, Combat PTSD in America, 
and the other one, the warrior class, the one for therapists is called the caregiver's guide. If you look at those two resources, I've got my worksheets. I've got my prescribing medications list for different medications for sleep and stuff. I'll guide you on how to take better care of the people out there because when you begin to take my video courses online, you'll see uh, that probably at your local hospital, a lot of that stuff's not getting done right. And I want to try to increase the standard of care as we have uh, so much transitions of power. I mean, keep in mind that most of the long-term chronic hospitalized mental health patients now are homeless rather than hospitalized and care is not provided and that the population is is manipulated and exploited all the time. So you can be someone to protect them as a nurse practitioner. I think that's a great idea. And while you're a nurse coming up from the very beginning, why not take a Reiki class, an energy healing class, so that when you hold your patient's hand, when you touch them, when you're in their presence, you can send love to them and healing and, and grow your powers. And you say grow your powers, Dan, you sound crazy, except there's a research study that looks at the electromagnetic waves and basically the energy. You can use Carillion photography that showed that 33% more energy was coming out of the fingertips and the hands of master level Reiki practitioners compared to, uh, you know, beginners that were just learning. And so literal physical energy comes off of your body <laughs> when you lay on your hands to heal and to help and to comfort. And so if you're an LVN, a licensed vocational nurse, two-year degree, you're healing people. And that can be in the area of mental health as well. Uh, hopefully, you watch some of my classes and gain confidence so that you can talk to people who've been through stuff and you know you're not going to step on their toes. You're not. You're going to respect the story and expect that they're not going to tell you what happened. Don't ask questions about the details. In fact, up front, when you, when you introduce yourself to a patient, say, tell them, I am not going to ask a story about your trauma. And if anyone here uh, tries to get you to talk about it, tell them to talk to me because we're going to close that down. I was writing a curriculum like that at the last hospital I was at, what it would take to do a curriculum. My idea for a trauma-informed hospital, a psychiatric hospital, uh, or any hospital that wants, or prison, that wants to house people that are mentally ill is, number one, everyone should be asked, would you like a trauma consult? Yes or no? And somewhere on your face sheet or your next to your ID badge on the computer system that they're tracking people, it should say whether or not that question has been asked or not or whether or not the person said yes or no. If they say no, no more mention of the trauma should happen. If they say yes, then a consult should be put in for a trauma therapist or whatever you have available. You know, put in a class, put them in a room and watch my videos. You know, if you're in a prison, if you have that kind of power uh, to bring these resources to people, do something like that. If they've said yes, they want a trauma consult. But... If they're going to talk to someone, make sure they and everyone in the institution knows that the only person who's going to be asking them what happened to them is that trauma therapist in the private consult room that they have asked for. If you will respect their story and the energy of that, because the reason why is because if you agitate it and you have not taught that person how to release energy because you don't even know what that means, then you're just making it worse. <laughs> so... I think an LVN could probably do as good a job as a master's level counselor if they are energy informed and intuitive and using healing touch and love and Reiki rather than just someone that's doing an ABC worksheet using shame. <laughs> okay. And <clears throat> one little side note of research, uh, 
is one of the things I got to do when I was in my psychiatry residency was get the a funded trip to flatted Berlin, Germany, and present a poster presentation of my own research on PTSD and family, military families at the time. And getting to do that experience, I got it paid for and it was grant funded and I was very, very sort of happy that the international community was worried about our veterans. I got very good comments on my poster. The conference was called the International Society for Affective Disorders. Affect means mood, at least the visible part that you can see from the outside, like a facial expression. And unfortunately, that's kind of a bad acronym, ISAD, International Society for Affective Disorders, ISAD. But I got to go present, and one of the uh, presenters that gave a talk totally floored me. He said, in India, you've got one psychiatrist per one million people in the population. It is impossible to use the traditional model. And if you haven't noticed, the healthcare system is being shut down actively right now. And we are no longer having the opportunity for many clinics to have new appointments. And that is just going to get worse, especially with vaccine mandates and the crushing of the middle class that's happening right now. We're going to lose the ability to go to appointments and have people there at the clinics. You, the, we're going to lose that, okay, at some point. It, it won't always be accessible. And so we're not too different than India, or at least it won't be very long, guys. We're not too far behind them, uh, right? Instead of one in a million, it's at least one in 25,000. And the number needing help is going to go up, and the number providing it is going to go down. And with the population growth curve, I, I could only guess in 10 years will be as bad as any. Well, what they did was they went to the villages and they looked up the mama-san. You know, they, they looked up usually an elderly female that was respected in the community. The grandmother of everyone that loved people was well-respected in the community. They identified a person in a village that fit that description. And then they gave them six hours of education on general counseling you know, principles mood, emotions, maybe ABC worksheet. It definitely has its place. It definitely does, right? Whatever you could do in six hours, I'm sure they were not teaching energy medicine or freedom tapping technique, though there is a mountain of other research behind freedom tapping technique in the Rwandan genocide victims um, in Africa. So all the research has been done. It doesn't matter what you do to try to help. Go do it for a little while. Well, the results of this study in India showed that in that village, and they did have telephone support backup if they needed it, okay? Much like my website could do. I could get a few people to answer phone calls and we could cover a country, you know, with this modality, with a mentorship on-demand video-based modality, assuming internet is available and electricity is available, right? Well, six hours of education of a mama-san in a village in India was comparable to a master's degree level counselor giving counseling for depression. They did a head-to-head comparison in those villages. They sent counselors, and then they also compared them blindly to um, other people doing the same kind of thing, but they were already trusted, respected, and friends, and they knew their resources, so they would never recommend anything that they couldn't do or didn't have available. They were tuned in. They didn't have to do the local culture lesson with a new therapist moving to town that doesn't know what the referral resources are. And there's a lot of gaps in our system and going to a trusted community member in a village in rural India um, doesn't have those gaps. In fact, the less sophisticated you are, the easier it is to get this kind of healing. And there might be a correlation with health. That's only my opinion. I'm telling you my opinion where it sticks its head in.
Okay. So if six hours of education can help depression as much as a master, what would it happen if I let you watch all the videos in a row? If you could do it, it would take you several hours on the entire PTSD curriculum that I would delivered in East Texas at a hospital system that had an intensive outpatient program. It would take them about six weeks to go through this curriculum and you can watch it now in one day on ptsdacademy.com. So what if you are a prison warden and listening to me right now, or you are a counselor or you have a therapy group or you'd like to have a Bible study class or a group in your home to help local teens, whatever you want to do. If we could give you say six weeks of, of video classes and support and teleconference with me, what would that do for your community or your group, and let's set up research where you look at the depression numbers, PTSD, or definitely quality of life scores, definitely uh, would explode. It would just explode. You'd have your data right there. So if you're interested in research and, um, and have opportunity for patient enrollment, that's great. I have some research ideas too, but more about that later. Okay. So, so far we've covered psychiatrists, psychologists and psychiatrists uh, is you know, a, a bachelor degree and a doctorate with with uh, most of them, I think, have a thesis. And I'm fuzzy on that. And it won't matter by the time you get there. You'll know way more than I ever need to anyway. So that's probably turning a lot of people off because it's many years of school. And then in, we jump down the bottom of the rung at that point, And we've covered the peer support specialist, the two-year nurse uh, with the licensed vocational nurse, LVN, then a four-year registered nurse degree up onto a nurse practitioner degree that in some states can be an independent practitioner after you complete school. And that's a school is about two years and one year of internship is optional. Some places it might be required. So if you count it on a four-year nursing degree, five years of working as a nurse, and then three years of education to be a nurse practitioner, you're home free. Guess what? That's about how long it takes to become a doctor and do a residency. <laughs> but there's a big advantage, I think, because the next degree I'm going to talk about are the physician assistants. And I applied to the Army Physician Assistant Program in 1998, 1999. And I've worked with many of them. Um, the one, when I tell my story, about my psychosomatic experience about four years ago and reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, at the same time I was having it, you know, it was a physician assistant with 30 years in the army that grabbed my arm that was in a spasm that hurt so bad I couldn't straighten my arm for two weeks. Uh, it was him that diagnosed and put his thumb down in the muscle to tell me what was going on. And then that's what I needed to have my breakthrough. And now you have the PTSD Academy. So never, I'm not underestimating or minimizing any of these professions. Folks, we all work together and I love and have good friends in every profession that I'm mentioning today. Okay. I don't really have my favorites. I think if I was going to start over, I'd be some kind of psychologist that then did energy medicine or energy psychology. Cause I think that's way cool. If you haven't done that, Look into like, um, well, we can do a group, if you will like, with a biofeedback scanners. Biofeedback scanners can presumably, and we can do the research, you know, pick up the energy vibrations your body's sending in off. And with energy comes information and vice versa. The two really can't be separated in quantum physics, energy and information. Therefore, it's not just your body and your iris and your heart rate variability and your pulse and your sweaty palms and stuff. 
It's not that, like lie detector stuff, that, that alone gives off clues to what's going on with you. But that fourth dimension biofield is giving off information, and you could pick it up with scanners. So maybe we should start putting aluminum foil on our heads. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I almost lost my train of thought. But don't worry, physician assistants, I didn't. So a nurse practitioner has been a nurse for five years. They have been at the bedside when bad doctors walk in the room, or maybe they're good doctors but bad communicators, and the doctor rounds quickly with the team, leaves the room, and the nurse is there looking at the patient's face, and the patient and the family didn't say anything because they often don't advocate for themselves. We've got plenty of research to show that only about 10% of what the doctor says is retained. Well, guess who fills in the 90%? It's the nurses. It's the nurses. If you have been a nurse for five years or more and you go into a nurse practitioner school, on your first day as a nurse practitioner, I trust your judgment more than a physician assistant. Whoa, whoa. Why? It's experience in translating the communication of real effective, you know, help and understanding those ba those boundaries and barriers that's going to stop the patient right there in their tracks from carrying out the doctor's plan. They've been doing it for five years. And a, and a physician assistant, like I was trying to be back in the 90s, and I got refused because I thought prerequisite meant a suggestion. <laughs> no, I just, I was on active duty and I didn't have access to about three classes because they didn't offer them at night. That's why I didn't get in. Okay. Oh, that's why they couldn't even consider my application. They might not have let me in anyway. Who knows? Right. It didn't get that far because I never met the qualifications. So there you go. So those are some good programs. The strength of the physician assistant is usually a much heavier strength in the neurobiology. I mean, it depends on the program, right? Just like comparing licensed clinical social workers with licensed professional counselors, LPCs versus LCSWs. Let's talk about them. In, in On paper, they're almost equivalent because they are both six-year master degree programs, you know, maybe an internship after that. And so you got four years of college, two years of master's degree work, and an internship, maybe three. And some don't require that. So there's fast tracks. There's slow paths, too, if you want to specialize and keep taking additional years to subspecialize. A common subspecialty in all of these that I'm mentioning today is pediatrics. You could, I, even as a psychiatrist, I could have done child and adolescent psychiatry. And had I chosen to do that during residency, it only would have added one more year to my training because I did not, and I graduated, got certified, and left. If I chose to go back and become a child and adolescent psychiatrist, it would take two years of training. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't want to go to that kind of school anymore. Okay? So... I come from a military background in my personal life and professional life, having worked for the Army as a psychiatrist and an enlisted food inspector, having worked for the VA as a psychiatrist, having deployed as a psychiatrist to Kuwait. I've done a few things with the military and worked on the VA side. And what I have seen in that experience is that most of the time, licensed professional counselors, LPCs, are kind of poo-pooed on. The VA won't hire them. The Army won't hire them. But the, the Army will hire their contractors in the parking lot, in the pods, and in the mobile home trailer offices for pre-deployment exercises, hire LPCs all the time. And to be the case managers, to handle the most 
serious suicidal um, National Guardsmen in the state who's doing most of those calls, licensed professional counselors. So they're really kind of, you know, it comes down to politics and weight and momentum. And the LCSW, the licensed clinical social work community, has outpowered and outgunned in terms of fundraising and political influence over their licensed professional community. And the same thing has happened with the prof- with the um, PAs, the physician assistants, have outraised money, outgunned, and outlobbied the uh, nurse practitioners. That's not true in every environment. But, for example, I've seen it in the state of Texas, where I'm in the Texas Army National Guard for about five more minutes because I'm not going to do the vaccine. Okay. Um, I've seen it where um, they in Texas won't allow the uh, addition of nurse practitioners to work uh, except to be a case manager in the state of Texas in the National Guard. And that is largely because of political influence of, of one person who actually is got a, a, uh, a conflict of interest and is a trainer at a physician assistant program and hand feeds people straight into the state that way. Okay. I've got respect in a lot of other ways for this individual, believe me. Uh, but that's the kind of thing it boils down to. Why don't the LPCs get the good jobs? Why don't the nurse practitioners get the good jobs? It's because of individuals and pro- professional influences in politics. That's what it comes down to. So if you, uh, you know, if you want to be a LCSW, you can work anywhere. If you want to be a licensed professional counselor, same amount of years, same amount of, of talent and training, uh, presumably. You know, I've, I've had um, a lot of education from both, mostly LCSWs, because like I say, I'm in the military. That's all that they'll hire. But they often had their best friends. And outside of there, I'd go to groups. My own therapist, personal therapist as an LPC. Okay, come on. It's the same kind of material. You can go lie to a psychiatrist as good as you can write, lie to an LPC. Am I right? <laughs> no. Uh, it's trying to be funny. But the old joke and saying that I think is really true, and you can share this one, is there's two people in the world you never want to lie to. One's your psychiatrist and the other one is your lawyer. And so there's just some good advice there about coming clean when it matters because it's your life. (laughs) So anyway, I'm starting to like podcasts and find my voice again. And um, we don't have to agree to be able to help each other. I'm a mentor-based, you know, trained in Napoleon Hill's philosophy, which is... uh, a community coming together with, in harmony toward a specific goal. That's what I learned on. That's what took me from being homeless after high school and dropping out of high school into being a successful doctor uh, that I kind of set my own course in my life now. And I'm wanting to go off the good grid for a while and be a prepper for fun. I want to build my own home. I just try to do different things. I play double bass, heavy metal drums. I have an album for 20 years ago that I wrote and produced every instrument and wrote all the songs. So I play lead guitar, I sing vocals, I play drums, and in my head has always been a bass rhythm. So I've got a very nice selector a bass that my broken hand, because a patient broke my hand and gave me an avulsion fracture, I can still wrap it around that bass and play bass. So there you go. There's quite a few of the degree types and career paths. If you don't want to go to school uh, to become a healthcare professional, at least learn Reiki. 
at least practice praying for the people around you. When you compliment people, mean it. And when you see something positive that somebody has inside of them, call it out, say something nice, give positive affirmations to the people around you. Try to mean it. Search for that gold because every time you hit that vibration, that just helped your body heal on the inside. You're just going to sleep one thousandth a little bit better tonight and just keep living that way. And when you do it, you're going to be rewiring your brain. So there you go. I've kind of hacked all those books and documentaries for you right there. All right. God bless. Stay safe. Talk soon.